Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Gospel of the Lord. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that your spirit be with us this morning to transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. The kings, the wise men, the magi. In the Christian tradition, we have built up quite a mythology around these characters that only get vague descriptions in the text. In the West, we tend to think of them as three kings, each one bearing one of the gifts named in the passage. In fact, we've given them names, Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. But none of this is in the text. And in some eastern parts of the church, the number of kings who come to Christ's birth is 12. In fact, in the text, they're not even kings. We call them that because it fits with connections that we want to see in scriptural prophecies. But those prophetic connections aren't native to the text. The first person to see these connections was Justin Martyr, a generation or two after the gospel had been written. So who are these mysterious figures from the East, and what does their inclusion in the story have to say to us today? To begin, we can say, as I just have, with a fair amount of certainty, that these are not kings. The Greek word used in the gospel comes from magos, meaning someone from the priestly class of Persia. It would have been easy enough to name them as kings because we see the title applied several times to Herod, this specific classification also throws a wrench into some of our Christian interpretation 
because it's a word with specific geographic connotations. In order to fit with later notions that these priestly figures represent authorities from around the world, we would have to ignore this more clear meaning of the word. So what do we make of these figures, these learned men from Persia? Is there something to be gained from this story, even if we accept that it does not fit as neatly with prophecy as the tradition would have us believe? As I was researching this passage, I came across a note in one of my commentaries that I believe goes a long way in helping us make new sense of this story. What the Anchor Bible suggests is that the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were part of the common stock in trade of magi, and that magi would even use myrrh ink to create magic charms. If we consider these items are tools of the trade for magi, then we can also consider these tools being given away as a dissociation from former practices. In other words, the gifts that the magi are giving to the young Christ are the gifts of their former lives. Having been witness to the birth of the Messiah, they give up the tools they use to practice their trade as Persian priests. This giving of one's life reminds me of the words of the incredible missionary and theologian E. Stanley Jones. In his book, The Unshakable Kingdom and the Unchanging Person, he explores the way in which the kingdom of God is rooted in the personhood of Jesus. As he unpacks the teachings contained in the Lord's Prayer, he writes, The coming of the kingdom was the doing of the will of God on earth as it is done in heaven. How is the will of God done in heaven? In the individual will? Yes. In the collective will? Yes. In the total social arrangements of heaven? Yes. It is a complete totalitarianism, a total way of life, in this life now. Jones must realize how this sounds for the very next question that he presents is, but wouldn't that be total bondage? To which he responds, strangely enough, no. Here is a complete totalitarianism in which when you obey it totally, you find total freedom. I do not argue, I only testify. When I belong to Christ and his kingdom, I am most my own. Bound to the kingdom, I walk the earth free. Lo, at his feet, I stand straight before everything. Let me concur with Jones. I do not argue, I only testify. When I belong to Christ and his kingdom, I am most my own. Anyone who's known me for a fair amount of time can verify that I'm not the most outgoing individual. In grade school, I did my best not to speak up for fear of drawing attention to myself. Even in the early years of seminary, a lot of my feedback from professors contained sentiments along the lines of, when Robert does contribute, or if Robert would contribute more, but it's through obedience to my call that I have found the confidence to speak when it's needed or to be at peace standing behind a pulpit. Lo, at his feet I stand straight before everything. 
Indeed, it is in the moments that I am assured of my obedience that I am most at peace. In precisely those moments when speaking out goes against the conventional wisdom of the world, I am able to be secure in the fortress of my Lord. In those moments when conflict must be faced, it is in the peace of God that I find my home. So how do we find assurance? How do we live in the freedom of godly obedience? We can begin with prayer. Through prayer, we're able to listen for God's will. We can also consult the scriptures. As we read God's story, we better understand the will of God. We come to better know the faithfulness of God's reconciling love throughout the ages. We find obedience in partaking in the sacraments. As we partake in communion in a few moments, we will confess that we are not always obedient. And then, with repentant hearts, we will be filled and renewed by God's grace through the great thanksgiving. And as we practice love in the world, we find ourselves walking in the footsteps of our Lord. As we bring peace and joy to those around us, the peace and joy of the Lord will bloom within us. One of the small ways that I'm hoping we can live into joyful obedience in the coming year is through a noisy coin offering. If you're like me, then you probably end up accumulating piles of loose change in your car or around your house. The second Sunday of each month this year, we will have the chance to bring that loose change together so that we can make progress towards our ministry shares, which you might better recognize by the name apportionments. These ministry shares are one of the ways that we live into our nature as a connectional church. They are a tangible example of the way that we actually act as one in the body of Christ. Through our noisy coin offerings, we will be helping to fund our Episcopal leadership. We will be supporting education through United Methodist schools, colleges, and seminaries around the world. We will be assisting with projects to plant new churches. We will be supporting the administrative fees for the United Methodist Committee on Relief. This means that whenever disaster strikes around the world, United Methodists can be there to help with the recovery, and donors can give to UMCOR knowing that 100% of the money they give actually goes to helping the people in need. I'm not saying that the United Methodist Church is a perfect embodiment of the kingdom, but when we take the time to think about all the good that is done through our combined mission work, then I think we make some pretty good progress toward living in the kingdom. Not all of our work can be as easy as collecting loose change, but this is a way for all of us to make a commitment, a new commitment to turning our lives to Christ. I hope that as you go forth this morning, you spend some time thinking about what other gifts you have to offer Christ. We all come, like the Magi, in search of Christ. May we all leave, having given something of ourselves in return. <coughs> Amen.